Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. This morning, I'd like to deviate a little from what I'd started the last two messages of preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and look at a passage from the Old Testament. I've been reading the last while in the Old Testament. And earlier this week, I read this passage that we'll look at this morning, and some things in it really jumped out at me and impressed me. And I felt like there was some lessons in it for us today, and felt like that the Lord led my mind continually back to this passage for a message this morning. Invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Before we read this passage, I'd like to give a little background. In the first chapters of 1 Samuel, we read about Samuel's birth, how he was given to her of the Lord, and in return, his mother Hannah gave him back to the Lord to serve God in the tabernacle all of his life. Also recorded in the first chapters of 1 Samuel is an account of the wickedness of Eli's sons. Eli was the current priest. His sons would have been his successors. And it's recorded that they were very wicked men. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They were engaging in immorality, taking advantage of the people. And we have recorded that Eli rebuked his sons. He saw what was going on, he rebuked them, but yet he didn't restrain them. Because of this, a prophet from somewhere within the tribes of Israel came to Eli and pronounced God's judgment on his family. He said that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would both die, and Eli's family line from that time on would never have an old man in it. They would not prosper they would die in the prime of life because of what Eli had allowed and what his sons had done. We also have recorded there the familiar story of how Samuel was called by the Lord at a young age. We don't know for sure how old he was. I guess I've always envisioned somewhere around 10 to 12 years of age. I don't know. How the Lord called to him and gave him a message and said that I'm about to bring about these things that were prophesied against Eli's family.
And first of all, I think we can see in this that God takes very seriously offenses against Him and against His standards. In the New Testament, Jesus rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for having a form of godliness, while in reality, their hearts were full of wickedness. He said that they were whitewashed tombs, something that looked beautiful on the outside, but inwardly, he said they were full of dead men's bones. They were full of of terrible things. They claimed to be following God, but yet their hearts were wicked. And I believe that's where Eli's family was at this time. They're going through the motions of the priesthood. But in reality, they are serving self and living wicked lives. When people claim to be living for God, but then their lives don't line up with his word, it brings reproach to God's name. And it's very displeasing to the Lord. And that's why we see God here declaring judgment on Eli's family. So now with that background, I'd like to read chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle... The Israelites, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew the army in the field, about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men, and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. 
And when he came low, Eli sat upon his seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of, out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, and her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her side said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. In this chapter, we have the account of God's judgment on Eli's house beginning. I say beginning because it had ongoing effects for some time. And I'd like to look at this account and hopefully bring out some lessons for us today. But we see here that Israel went out to fight the Philistines. We don't have a record of what was going on here, whether the Philistines were provoking the Israelites or whether the Israelites were provoking the Philistines. But it does make mention here that the Philistines said that we need to fight so that we don't become servants of the the Israelites as they have been to us. So this was a time when Israel was under the control of the Philistines. And they went out and engaged in this battle. And I believe that we can see here God using the Philistines to bring judgment on his people for their disobedience. And I think it's interesting, not just here, but throughout Scripture and throughout history, we can see times where God used wicked nations and wicked kings to inflict punishment on his people, to steer them back to him. Think of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar taking the Israelites captive in Babylon for 70 years. It was because their hearts had turned away from God, and in the captivity, 
they again remembered God and cried out and returned to him. And so here God is using the Philistines to bring judgment on his people for their sins and on Eli's family. In Deuteronomy 28, God gives, gave the Israelites a list of terrible things that were, were, go, were going to happen to them if they failed to obey his commands. And one of those things is that they would be defeated by their enemies. It says that they would not be able to stand against them. And so we see that God's blessing cannot be on his people when they're not following his ways. And as I said, again and again, we see God's people, as they fall away, they would experience defeat. And then they would return to the Lord. And so in this account, this day, 4,000 men fell by the hands of the Philistines. But we see that these men of Israel, they had a solution to their problem. They said, ah, we know what we'll do. We'll call for Hophni and Phinehas to bring the ark of God from the tabernacle, have them bring it out here to the battlefield, and then we'll win. They were convinced if they had the ark of God that they were going to win. They said in verse 3 that it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. And I thought it was interesting. Maybe something's lost in translation. But it says that it would save us from their enemies. Their focus was on the ark itself. They felt like that bringing the ark into the camp was going to be bringing the Lord's blessing. To be bringing the, the presence of the Lord into the camp and ensure their victory. To them, the ark represented God. It represented His presence and His power. And we can see how strong their belief in bringing the ark into the camp was because when it came into the camp, it says that they shouted so loudly that the earth rang and other other translation, number of other translations say that the earth shook. You know, they didn't just say yay, they, they shouted. It was a big group of, of people and they shouted and probably jumped up and down and who knows what all. They were excited. They, they felt like victory was sure. We have God on our side. But it's also interesting to read about the Philistines. When they heard the shouting, what their response was. They as well recognized God's presence coming into the camp of the Israelites. And they recognized that God in the past had delivered his people in a very miraculous way. They recalled what had happened in Egypt. And I found that very interesting. I didn't go and try to research and find a timeline. 
But this would have been, I think, several hundred years after the Israelites came out of Egypt. And so, several hundred years later, and a fairly long distance away, these people still were remembering what God did for his people when he brought them out of Egypt, brought the plagues upon the Egyptians. They recognized that this was the working of the God of Israel and that they were facing a formidable foe. And that their only hope was to be strong and fight like they never had before. Verse 9, and then IV says, Be strong, Philistines, be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So they recognize that we have to give it our all or it's all over. So the next day they engaged in battle again. The Israelites, in confidence that we will prevail. The Philistines, fearful and fighting for all they were worth because they knew that it's our only hope. And we see the outcome, a tremendous defeat for Israel. 30,000 men were killed along with Eli's sons. The ark of the Lord was captured. And the Israelites didn't understand why. They didn't know what had happened. They were so certain of victory. So then in the last section of the chapter, we have recorded how a man ran from the battle tell the news in the city. And we have Eli sitting by the road, an old man, says he was 98 years old. His eyes were dim that he couldn't see. He was sitting there worrying about the ark of the Lord. And when he heard the news of the death of his sons and that the ark had been captured, he fell off his seat broke his neck and died. His daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, who was expecting a baby, went into labor, gave birth to a son, and passed away herself. And as she was dying, she named him Ichabod, meaning the glory is departed from Israel. It was a terrible time Eli, the priest, was dead. His two sons, the successors to him, were dead. The ark had been captured. The ark that represented God's presence and blessing and and indwelling in their midst was captured by their enemies. It was something that had never happened in the history of the Israelites before. You know, it was the ark 
that when the priest carrying it stepped into the Jordan River, the river quit flowing. It was the ark that was in the tabernacle when the tabernacle was dedicated that the presence of God came down in the cloud and dwelt there in the Holy of Holies. They'd also lost 30,000 men that day. And I'm sure that they did feel that the glory had departed Israel. A day earlier, they had been so sure of victory that they were shouting with such power that the ground shook. They believed in the power of God to deliver, but now they were facing utter defeat. And their nation's most treasured possession was in the hands of their enemies. Now I'd like you to consider, when did the glory depart? from Israel was was it on that day when the Philistines got their hands on that ark and took it into their possession I believe that it was sometime before that I'd also like you to think about the question what was the glory of Israel If the glory had departed, what was that glory? To answer that, I would say that God was their glory. And the ark did represent his presence on earth among his people. As I said, when the the tabernacle was completed... The ark was put in the Holy of Holies, and the tabernacle was dedicated, the sacrifices were made. God's presence, the cloud of his presence that had went with the Israelites, came down and dwelt on the tabernacle and filled the the Holy of Holies with his glory. And it was there that the priest was to go once a year with the blood of atonement bring atonement for the people. So they associated the ark with God and with his glory, with his presence. So the glory of Israel was indeed God's presence, his dwelling with them, his ongoing care, his protection. But I think it was just a little bit greater than that as well. I invite you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'd like to read the first nine verses. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. 
You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do, do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is, in all things that, that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great, that has statutes and judgments so righteous, as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, Unless they, they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Notice these verses call the Israelites to give complete obedience to the laws of the Lord that he had given through Moses. He points out that those who fell into idolatry at Baal Peor were destroyed. That was the incident after Balaam was called to curse Israel for Balak and refused. The Israelites were led into sin by the people at Balaam's suggestion. But he points out here that those who fell in idolatry there were destroyed. God couldn't tolerate what they had done. But it was those who were faithful were the ones that survived and experienced God's blessing. In verse 5 here, Moses tells the people that he had taught them God's statutes and judgments so that they would obey them in the land that they were entering to possess. So he's saying that these statutes from God are for you in the, in, in the promised land. When you enter that land, this is, these are the commandments you are to obey. And he also says that keeping God's commands and statutes was going to set them apart from the surrounding heathen nations. That those people were going to notice and recognize the wisdom in following the Lord and the blessings that it brought. God's presence was the Israelites' glory, but their obedience to God's requirements was part of that glory as well. Their obedience to his requirements was the glory that showed to the people around them. It's what set them apart. 
And they were commanded in verse 9 to take heed, not to forget these commands, that they were diligently and that they were to diligently teach them to their children. He's saying it's going to take purpose and persistence to ensure that you follow these commands, that your children follow these commands after you. But he says if you do, you're going to continue to experience God's blessing. We could say they're going to continue to experience the glory of Israel. So now back to 1 Samuel. And my question, when did the glory depart from Israel? Was, was, was it the day of their defeat? Was it when the ark was captured? Absolutely not. It happened when they ceased to take God's command seriously and began to disobey Him. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of 1 Samuel says that Eli's sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. God had brought them into the land of Canaan and led them to conquer the people that lived there because of the wickedness of the land. The people that lived in the land of Canaan were involved in terrible idolatry. They were involved in things such as sacrificing children. And God said, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to put my people in that land. But now, you see Eli's sons being vile. And even though he knew it, he wasn't restraining them. And I believe that if these men at the temple were vile, probably there were many other people throughout the land living in disobedience to God as well. So when the people begin to disobey and to disrespect the commands of the Lord, that's when the glory had departed Israel not the day of their defeat. Because that was when they lost their distinction and they started to simply become like the peoples around them. That was when they ceased to demonstrate the wisdom and goodness of God, the wisdom and goodness of His commandments that He gave for their good for their benefit. God didn't give those commandments just on a whim. It was for the good of His people and to bring honor and glory to Himself. And yes, it did set them apart from the nations around them. But it set them apart because they were God's people and the nations around them were serving Satan. Now, what is some lessons for us today? It's easy for us to criticize and lament the state of our nation or the state of the modern-day church. And we might say the glory has departed because the government has pushed 
Bibles and prayer, etc., out of schools and other government institutions. We might lament what many mainstream modern churches have allowed within the church, allowing things that Scripture clearly teaches against. But has the glory departed? Maybe in some ways, but no, the glory has not departed. Because the glory is still available to all who are willing to wholeheartedly obey God's standards today. I see in this account a call for us to do what it says in Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. When we fail to practice, to put into practice, what God has commanded us in his word, and when we fail to impress those truths upon our children and our grandchildren, that is when... God's glory will depart from us and from our church, from our lives and our homes. We can do little about what other church groups or what the government that's over us does, but we can do a lot in regards to our own lives, the lives of our children, and to our own church. That's where our circle of influence is. Our circle of influence isn't in the earthly realms. It isn't in other denominations. It's here. It's in our homes. It's in our church. I said at the beginning that I was deviating from my series of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought I was. But as I studied for this message, my mind came right back around, and I began to see a direct correlation between this message and the Sermon on the Mount. The correlation is this. The Sermon on the Mount is to the Christian church in many ways what the law of Moses was to the Jewish people. It's a body of commandments that are to govern our everyday lives. They're commandments that show us how to live according to God's will and how we need to live to experience His blessing. And also... This is just a thought that came to me. Moses was the great prophet of the children of Israel. But the prophecy was given that there was a prophet coming that was going to be greater than Moses. And we recognize that that was fulfilled in Christ. And so the commandments that Christ gave far exceed the commandments that came through Moses. 
then as we obey through our obedience and God's blessing, we become a demonstration of God's glory here on earth. Just as we see in Deuteronomy 4 that the nations around Israel were going to take note and see that God's laws were good. They're going to see that as God's people followed His commandments that there was blessings for doing that. And they're going to take note. It says that they were going to say that that this was a wise nation, a wise and understanding people, because they were following God's laws. As we follow God's laws today, that can be us. So my challenge this morning is that we would all endeavor daily to follow God's commands so that we can be a bright spot of His glory here in a dark, sinful world. And may we do our part that it can never be said of our church that the glory is departed. May God bless you.